are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Young couple were looking forward to having a baby, but the baby never came. There was never a child conceived. Finally, after prayer and really a miracle of God, the young lady was expecting. She carried that baby, and there was such an eagerness. You know how it is when you have a child entering your home, most of you. And they were so excited. Oh, she was beautiful, just breathtaking. And she grew, and she was their joy and their life. The only one they ever had, not another. When that girl was about nine or ten, suddenly her, what I would consider a young father, passed away. In the midst of that, a very pivotal time for that little girl, she became very bitter, very angry. She was angry at God, and I've never been in a position like that, but I, with losing a loved one like that, I, I can imagine why she'd be upset. She didn't understand how a loving God could allow this to happen. She uh, not only got bitter at God, she got bitter at the lady that she called mother. She loved her mother. Oh, she got angry. And that bitterness, you know, because bitterness destroys its own container. And that bitterness festered through her teen years. And, And then about age 16, just rebellion set in, just downright rebellion. She ran away from home. Mother's alone now. Husband passed away. Daughter, who knows where she was on the streets? Who knows where she was living? Who knows what type of environment she was in? But she would never call her mother. Her mother would have a daily routine throughout the day. As she went to work, before she went, she'd kneel and pray, oh God, please bring my daughter back. And then at night, she'd get home to that empty house and pray. And then the night season, she'd spend long periods of time praying for that daughter. She left the door open, and I know that that may not sound safe, but she knew that if her daughter came home, she wanted her to just walk in. One night, several years later, That girl walked in. Mother was on her knees. She heard that mother pouring out her heart to God. Oh, dear God, bring her back home. Pleading with God, please bring her back home. I love her so much. You know, oftentimes we hurt those that have the greatest investment in our life. The people that have invested the most and have loved the most Many times, uh, may I remind you of Judas? And Jesus invested his life in those 12. But he says, one of you shall betray me. And Judas betrayed him. Oh, betrayal's an awful thing. Job here in the book of Job where we saw it today, Job came to the point, and his test was from chapter one to chapter 42, just one year in duration. It was just one year, but in that year, he lost all of his cattle, all of his maidservants, all of his manservants. He lost all of his children and all their mates, 10 of them, 
he lost his health. And his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Then three fans came into him. And those three friends came and they sat still as he is scraping his body with a paw sword like a piece of hardened clay because the boils that were on his body. And the one begins to speak, Bildad. And Bildad comes and says, I'll tell you what the problem is, Job. You're full of pride. Well, that's not what the Bible says of Job. He was a man of God, chapter one, who eschewed, he hated evil. The most upright man in the East, a godly man. But his friend comes in and says, you're, you're wrong. You're pride. God had to bring you low. Well, after Bildad gets done with them, then Zophar comes. Great names. And Zophar comes and he attacks them the same way. He says, you think you're something very special, but you're not. And then his next friend comes in and he begins to attack him. And he says, you're just so full of arrogancy. There he is. Wife broke his heart. Children dead. Health broken. And he comes to chapter number 42, the last chapter. Verse number nine of 42. So Eliphaz and, and Bildad and Zophar, these men were there, and the Bible says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Would you read this last statement with me to the word friends? Verse 10, for the Lord turned the captivity of Job, ready, when he, you know, today I'm gonna ask you and I'm gonna encourage us to pray for those who have wronged us. When I say that, I guarantee it, everyone right now probably has a visual of a person that has wronged you. Someone who has said something or done something to hurt you. And it may have been a person you invested your life in. It may have been a person that took advantage of your generosity. It may have been someone that you should have been protected and loved and they've taken advantage of you. And the Bible says, Job said, I'm gonna pray for those that have wronged me and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when, when, when he prayed. The prayer helped Job more than it helped his friends. You don't find that the friends came back and said, hey, we're sorry. God says he changed Job when Job began to pray, uh, pray for his friends. How about it today? Is it a dad that walked out of your life? Is it a mother that walked out? Is it a grandfather, a grandmother? Is it an aunt or an uncle, a coworker, a brother, a sister, someone? Who is it that face is there right now? They've wronged you. They've done wrong to you. They've taken money from you. They've accused you. They may have drugged you into court of law. And you're just dumbfounded. You say, I'm just, I'm amazed. How'd this happen? My Bible tells me several things today. I want you to go with me as we think of, I want you to see this in Acts chapter seven. I'll have you turn to a few texts real quickly here. In Acts chapter seven, in chapter number seven, beginning in verse 54, 
There's a man by the name of Stephen. He becomes the first Christian martyr. And in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to heart and they gnashed on them with their teeth. And being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked steadfastly up into heaven saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand. Verse number eight, 58, and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Would you read verse 60 with me? Seven, chapter seven, verse 60. Ready, begin. And he kneeled down. Turn to me the book of Luke chapter 23, if you would. Here's a man by the name of Stephen we just read about. And Stephen is dying at the hands of people that hated God. And they gnashed on him, literally, they, they, they gnashed on him with his teeth and they took stones and they stoned him and they took his bloody, bloody raiment and gave it to Saul who later became Paul who wrote most of this New Testament who was a heathen at that time. And yet he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Lay not this sin to their charge. They're wronging me, but God, I'm praying for those that are wronging me right now. Our Lord is hanging on the cross in chapter 23 of the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, verse 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him. And the Bible says the malefactors, one on the right and one on the left. And then verse 34 said, Jesus, what's the next three words, church? Ready, begin. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This is the Son of God. This is God. And yet these chose to crucify him. And our Lord's words, Father, forgive them. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew in chapter 5. In the book of Matthew in chapter 5, you will have people wrong you in life. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we'll spin our lives from those that hurt us. Where God says, I want you to pray for those who have been despiteful against you. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll notice with me in verse number 44, I wish you'd read this with me. Verse 44, chapter 5. Verse 44, ready, begin. But I say unto you, I'll never forget when I was over here in San Jose, I was picking up some huge electric fans. Our old building, we didn't have, we didn't have fans and we didn't have air conditioning. And the date was March the 30th, 1981. Something also happened to me on that day and I've lived with it since that day. I remember it so very vividly. I remember where I was walking when I experienced this pain and it's been with me since. I was over here at a place picking up these two huge fans. 
we're about ready to break ground for a 32,000 square foot building and we're going to move into a tent for two years and we did. We didn't have one parking stall for those two years. And God grew the church during both years of construction. I remember the men of the church, we all built it together, 32,000 square foot, an auditorium and a gymnasium and classrooms and nurseries and offices and dining hall. It was an amazing building. But that day as I walked in there to get those fans, it was so hot. And we're moving to the spring. And that building just trapped the air. We just wall the wall people in there. I heard on the radio behind the counter, President Ronald Reagan has just been shot. I'll never forget the heartache in my heart. I thought our president had been, I'd, I'd feel that way over any president that would get shot, any congressman, any, any, politi- any person in life. I, I'll never forget that day and they rushed him to the hospital. The, the bullet was about a quarter of an inch away from his heart. I want to read you exactly his words from his journal. Getting shot hurts. This was some days after, after the surgery. Getting shot hurts. Still, my fear was growing because no matter how hard I tried to breathe, it seems I was getting less and less air. I focused on the tiled ceilings. He was in an emergency room, and he said, I prayed. But I realized I could not ask God for his help while I felt such mixed feelings at the young man who shot me. Isn't that the meaning of the lost sheep? We are all God's children and therefore equally beloved by him. And I began to pray for his soul that somehow the man that shot me would get back into the fold of God and know the path of right. After Ronald Reagan, I remember him the first time we saw him when he came out on that balcony of the White House, that porch, and the nation was praying for him. He went to the doctors and said, I want to go, and he went to the people that were caring for Hinckley. He was uh, pronounced that he was mentally insane. And he said, "I, I need to go see this young boy. And he said, I imagine that young boy might have remorse. Three others were wounded so badly, and I almost lost my life. And I want that boy to know that as the president of the United States, I hold no animosity and no anger anger in my heart. And he said, it's as much for me and as for him. The doctor said, Mr. Hinckley's doctor said, President, we're appreciative. We cannot allow you to do that because it might upset him to the point that he might regress further. He went to his grave and he said that was always the thing that grieved him, that he had not the opportunity to tell him, son, I forgive you. You might remember his daughter, Patty. Patty, her dad was a right-wing conservative. Patty was a liberal. Patty would take up in marches across this country, especially for environmental things. And she would march against literally her dad's programs. 
And yet, Ronald Reagan made sure that every year at Thanksgiving, she and the entire family would be sitting at the Thanksgiving table. His son who wrote a book, and she wrote a book against her dad and against his policies as a grown woman. And he told people as they tried to attack her, they said, your own daughter doesn't stand with you. And he goes, but she's a wonderful daughter. She has the right to that opinion. You know, we just we, 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 we destroyed relationships and friendships and family over things that later in life will not mean that much. She wrote a book against her dad. But he continued to love her. And he said to many, I would suggest you buy that book. It would be a good read. You know, before his death, as he was ebbing away, she wrote another book. And she wrote how great a father and always was so kind to his entire family. One of those men who was his right-hand man did the same thing. He wrote a book, and it was so anti-Ronald Reagan and anti his program. He began to say things that were done in the White House as far as uh, meetings and things that were secretive. They said, what do you think about that, Mr. President? He said, once again, I would recommend everybody to get that book. He wrote the book because I could not get Judge Bork into the Supreme Court. And he said, quite frankly, the things that he has written in here are true. I'm the guy that blew it. He said, I should have done it differently to get him on the Supreme Court. But he says, so for the conservatives that want to know next time, you ought to read that book so you'll know what not to do. And it became a great seller. And it was against him. I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, I know in this room there are people that you are sleepless and, and you're in turmoil, high blood pressure, low blood pressure, whatever it might be over the fact that you cannot release something and let it go. I'm so mad at my dad. There have been people in my ministry. I'm not going out to that cemetery. I, we put him, we put her out there in the grave. I could care less if I ever see him again. You might have to, and I'm not trying to be cruel to anyone because I know these cemeteries and all these people we've laid to rest, you may need to go out there, and I know you can't talk to someone who's passed away. They're already on the other side, but you may need to go out there in prayer. No one's going to be there. I promise you that. And you need to walk out to that monument and say, Dad, mother, sister, brother, I want to let you know that I feel like I was so wrong. I know you're not here, but dear God, you're here, and I want to confess right now that I was wrong. I got to get this right. There needs to be nothing between my soul and my Savior, and there's something between you and God when there's something between you and man. This is evidence that this is not right. One's hanging on a cross. They're doing him wrong, and he says, Father, forgive him. One's kneeling and stones are coming down upon Stephen. And he said, Father, don't lay it to their charge. The Bible says that you bless those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. You, you be good to those people. Be kind to those people. Job was in a condition. And his condition was that everything he had, he lost. Everything that was dear to him was taken away. 
And then he said, I think I need to do this. I need to pray for my friends. There was a man by the name of Jacob and Esau, their brothers, their twins. In Genesis 25, 22, their struggle began in the womb of their mother, the Bible says. And he sold the birthright and he sold the blessing and deception was between those two brothers. And then all of a sudden it got so hot and so heated that one fled from his brother lest he kill him and he spent 20 plus years apart and he had a wife and he had children and he had a wife and he had children and missed two decades of nieces and nephews' lives. And then the day came. They're gonna see one another. And he has 400 people with him. And he put the women and children out front, real man. And he put the women and children out front. And they finally meet what would look like a battlefield. Two brothers that had warred against one another. They both brought gifts for one another. And they both refused the gifts from one another. They said, I have enough. That's the word they use, I have enough. And he says, no, you take these possessions. You please take them. I need to give them to you. He goes, I won't receive them. You take mine. He goes, I won't receive it. I have enough. They both wound up having enough. But they missed a lifetime as children and as teenagers, as adults and married men because someone wronged them. They wronged one another. They said, we're not willing to get it right until that day they finally got it right with one another. Ephesians 4 says, and let all bitterness and evil communication and let all uh, uh, be put away from you. He said, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I'm always enamored with President Lincoln, President Washington, men of great character. I admired the life of Ronald Reagan. And, and Ronald Reagan, not only did he forgive, but he ran against another man for president, the Republican ticket. And this man stood and said of Ronald Reagan, he believes in voodoo economics, terrible economics. And when the primaries were all over, Mr. Reagan was now the candidate to be president. They said, you need to choose a vice president. And he chose the man that said voodoo, voodoo economics. His name was George H. Bush. They said, how can you choose a man that's attacked you so much? He says, because he's an incredible candidate. They said, but look how he's wronged you. He goes, he never wronged me. He's a good man. And for eight years, they served together as president and vice president, and the vice president went on to be the president. Who do you have to forgive? Did they go in the papers and tell how bad you were? Did they blast you on TV? 
Did they take a gun and try to shoot you? Did they nail you to a cross? Did they throw stones upon you? I don't know what people have done to you, but until you come to God and say, in Jesus' dear name, I'm gonna forgive this one. That's the prayer. Job said, I, I had three, actually. Another one came on scene for there's four friends. They attacked him. They maligned him. They criticized him. Job said, I remember the day when children stood when I entered I remember the day of importance. I remember my family thought I was something. And no one cares now. But he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Friend, who is it? Before I pray, is there a person's face that's right here between your eyes right now? You see that face. Who is it that you see? It may be a relative. So there's no one alive. Then you probably haven't lived life. You better pinch yourself. Make sure you're alive. Because people have a tendency to hurt. And we cannot go to step two until we learn to forgive those that have wronged us in step. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.